be prepared to make mistakes because it will take some time in order for you to know where your risk appetite is. It's very important to be able to identify where your risk appetite is because for every investors, they're different. You should not compare yourself to others because what you feel good doesn't necessarily feel good for other people. So experiment, make mistakes as much as you can and as fast as you can. By doing that, you would be able to figure out what kind of investors that you want to be because once you are able to identify that, you would be able to have a more targeted approach in your investment, the kind of companies that you would want to go for, what kind of team that would be able to supplement your goal. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Ao, venture capitalist, Sierra founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you expanding or launching a business in the Philippines? Ensuring your employees' good health is key to attracting and retaining top talent. That's where Hive Health comes in, especially for startups and small to medium-sized businesses. They specialize in providing top-quality and hassle-free healthcare plans tailored to your workplace. Learn more at www.ourhivehealth.com. Hey, Anthony. Really excited to have you on the show. You've been busy investing across the region and I would love to hear your point of view. Anthony, please introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me, Jeremy. I've been an audience in your podcast, so I thought that this is actually my first podcast that I'm going to be doing. And I just thought that you sound familiar and I thought that it would be much easier to start my podcast experience with you. Yeah, my name is Anthony. I'm part of Trial Capital. We're an early to growth stage VC focusing in Southeast Asia, while we also invest in US-China public equity. We have been around since 2018 and we're based out of Indonesia and Singapore. I come from a family business background, actually. We have been in the agriculture sector for the past 30 years. So I thought that I could diversify away and try something new. So in 2018, I decided to move to Singapore to start the fund. Why Singapore? I think because at the time, investments in both public and private were much more prominent than back home. And I've always had a deep interest in consumer and technology sector. But I've never really wanted to be a founder. So I saw a gap. I saw an opportunity to invest as a form of support and to foster innovation. So when we first started, we were investing across various different asset classes. We wanted to learn about ourselves, our risk appetite, and where our sweet spot would be. Until now, I think it is still a learning process for me and for the team. In the early phase of our investing, we also invested in venture capital funds. These were especially the early exposures that we had investing in startups. We were able to learn from some of the best investors in the region who were kind enough to share their knowledge and wisdom, which then leads us to having the confidence to start our own. So we started investing directs in 2021. 
And here we are three years later. Amazing. Could you share a little bit more about what you've learned about investing in Southeast Asia? If we talk about Southeast Asia, there are various different markets. I would speak mainly for Indonesia as a market because most people know Indonesia to be a large, young and growing middle class population. But I think in reality, what companies can actually sell or what consumers can actually buy, it may not be as, as appealing as it may sound on a macro level. There are various limiting factors such as first politics. The political landscape is a big part. You need a strong grounding in order for you to understand and scale in the market. As you can see, we will be having our election next year. A lot of companies, especially the big ones, will not be making big decisions. I think they're trying to avoid big risk until the election period is over. I think secondly, supply chain. Distribution network is still in the early phase of development, especially in tier two and tier three cities. And I think in the US, what we have seen, a VC's job is to identify and accelerate new innovation. But I think in this part of the business, in this part of the region, pure tech business is rare. I think instead, we see more of tech-enabled traditional businesses that will probably have an easier time, especially generating customers and revenue. I think they are more likely to have healthy unit economics and capital efficiency. But as we can see, also the ceiling to what it can grow is also limited. I think because of these issues, I think investors need to understand and adjust their target return, which also trickles into the entry valuation. So I think companies in Indonesia, especially in this new normal, I think they need to be able to find PMF earlier because in here I think there's no such thing as like 500 or 1000 times return. The biggest tech company that we have in the region is Goto which is Gojek and Tokopedia. Two leaders merge at less than 10 billion dollar valuation. So at 1000 times return you have got to invest in the company as early as 10 million dollar valuation and to prorate each round and to me this is just not a reasonable case. And what's interesting is that you started comparing the, the US market from the Indonesian market. And I know that you have experience in not just the venture capital, but also the public equities as well, which gives you a pretty good comparables across multiple asset classes. So how would you say the US and perhaps the China market differs from Indonesia? I think the US market is a much more developed market. I think most of the liquidity comes in the US. A lot of early development will usually come in the US, but I think if we compare it with China or even Indonesia, there's a lot of copy and paste, but then to adapt, uh, localize it. But as for China, it's a different market. I mean, if you ask me about China three, four years ago, I'll probably say a different thing. But I think what we have seen in the past few years, China has been, I was going to say attacked, but they are experiencing a new kind of environment where the government has intervene in such a big way, which I think frightened a lot of new tech founders, especially what we have seen in the property market recently. And then a few years ago, it was the education market. So I think a lot of tech founders in the recent years have started to question whether it's viable to start a company in China, or maybe they should just go abroad and start it in other countries. Yeah. So when you are thinking about companies as a result in Indonesia, what type of companies are you looking for as a result? 
Are you looking for companies that are more consumer-oriented or business-oriented, or is it something else you're looking for? So I think in general, at Trial Capital, we are sector agnostic. We look closer to the early stage, and we tend to prefer traditional businesses that are tech-enabled instead yeah. of pure tech business. I would say prefer, not a must completely, but I think the three most important traits that we look for in companies are scalability, profitability, which is unit economics, and the speed of growth. I think once the business model is right, then we look at the founding team. Are they strong enough to execute the three traits to succeed? And then we ask ourselves, what is the competition? Can they penetrate and win? And when we believe that they do, we invest. Once we work with them, we tend to go very hands-on. We focus on fixing unit economics, margins, or we would be helping to set strategic direction or even finding commercial partnerships. So those are some of the things that we would do. Right. And when you meet a founder for the first time, what do you expect them to do or be like? So I think when I meet them, I would love to see a founder that is fully prepared. I think even if you have not, do act like you have done this like a million times. Just practice. Be direct. Who's your customer? How big is that market? Who are you competing with? What do you think is the AOV? How do you get to 10, 50, 100 million dollar revenue? I feel like the mat needs to be there. You should know your TAM. You should know your go-to market. Who are you starting with? Where are you going to go from there? In terms of the customer segment, be specific. Who are they? What is small? What is big? What is the total revenue? What is the number of employees? If you are in the mid-market, what does that mean to be in your market? And I think lastly, why should we invest in you? And why now? Because I think in this current climate where funding is scarce, the landscape is becoming more competitive and founders need to be ready at all times. Yeah. And as you see these founders, what are some signals or red flags for founders who are not, you know, if they're not prepared, that's what obvious, right? Uh, when you talk about founders that are good, polished, prepared, but what are the red flags or stories that you have about things that give you a signal that this is probably not a good investment to take at this time? I think when we look at founders, what makes a big difference for them is hard work and determination. Because to me, this might not be a popular opinion, but if you are an aspiring founder, forget work-life balance. If you're a C-level in, in the company, your job scope is everything. Just because you're a CEO doesn't mean that you don't handle CEO's job or vice versa. Because I think the role of a CEO change as the company progress and changes in this industry are fast paced. You need to constantly adapt and readjust to survive. And I think outside of work, it would be better if you can have a strong support system, whether it's your family or if it's your partner, because they would be able to take care of the life outside of work. Because if you think about what you're going to do the next weekend or like where would you be flying for your next Christmas break, I think more than not, that will take quite a lot of your focus away from work. And with the level of unexpected and new problems that you will experience each day, I think you simply cannot be distracted because now you have people relying on you. And I think what's worse is when you're still burning, sometimes investors say yes, but they don't actually mean it. Sometimes they even sign, but still don't wire the fund. So I yeah. think you need to always be prepared with your plan B, C, and D. And from your perspective, what does it take to be a successful founder? So I think, like I mentioned, I think those two traits is really important for me, which is hard work and determination. So I think when we meet a founder, we try as much as we can, as best as we can to analyze those two traits. Because of our diverse network that we have, we usually would have someone to cross-check about the person. So 
hopefully when we get good signals from others, especially on those two aspects, I think it's usually a green light for us. And starting to talk a little bit about TriHill in terms of your process, what makes TriHill different? So I think first of all, we are an evergreen fund. So our main priority is the performance of our investments. And I think that directly comes from our founders and their businesses. Secondly, we also invest in public equities. We go bottoms up in our research and a lot of the business models that we saw in the private space would more likely to happen in the public space way early. It might not be in the same country, but there must be something that is similar enough for us to study upon. Um, third, we are a shareholder in one of the biggest bank in the country. We have done many partnerships with our portfolio companies, which helps them to grow faster into the next phase. Lastly, I think I would say that we are a team of operators. We come from different business backgrounds, consumer, retail, fintech, construction. So I feel like we experience starting a business or leading a team. And I think because of that, we often can relate and connect better with our founders. Yeah. How have you gone about building Trihill Capital? in terms of hiring new people, building like processes? So I think when we first started, I didn't really know exactly how are we going to grow, how big team is going to be. But I think when I was trying to build the culture of trial capital, having a growth mindset is key for each personnel, for our culture as a company. And I think the two most important drivers for us to be able to achieve this is openness to criticism and the willingness to learn. Because I think if you have these two, nothing will stop you from growing. I think the VC landscape is so dynamic. And if you don't keep up, you will be left out. And specifically in my role to lead the team, I think I believe that if you look after the people, their growth and development, their dreams and their aspirations, they will simply put the same energy back to the business. And I have a co-partner as well. And I've known him for a very long time. We have experienced the ups and downs. I think what's important working with a partner is to know exactly what your role is, what you're good at. So with each problems or situations, sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. And I think knowing when to step in and when to step back is the yin and yang, the partnership and to the whole team, I think. What would you say are some common myths about startup investing in Indonesia? Okay, maybe two things. First, VCs must take control of your business. I think while we do have a say in some business decisions, especially if we hold a board position, well, we're not looking to take over your business, especially the day-to-day -day operations of the company. We provide oversight and guidance. We are your sounding board. We help with strategy and roadmap. But I think it's more important for us to let the founders do the company building because I think that is the founder's job, not the VC. Secondly, more money equals more success because I think what we have seen in the recent years, many companies who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars fail. So simply having a large amount of venture capital doesn't ensure a startup's success. Sometimes having too much funding can even lead to inefficient spending, a lack of focus. And I think it's the VC's job and responsibility to make sure that these founders don't detour too much. Another thing you mentioned is about the localization piece. So a lot of folks, they've been trying to copy and paste something from the US or something from China to Indonesia. Sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't worked out. Could you share a little bit more about what you think is important to remember here? So I think localization, I mean, again, I would say like different business models would have different ways of localization. But 
I think having people on the ground is very important. If you're going to be investing in Indonesia or in Vietnam, let's say, but your fund is based in Singapore, it's going to be hard. Like even mm. for me, I've been living in Singapore for some time now. I grew up in Indonesia. I was raised in Indonesia. I spent most of my life in Indonesia. But because in the recent years, I have not been spending as much time in Indonesia, it's different. The speed of development is just so fast. And if you don't live and breathe in the country, it's going to be hard for you to localize. And it's going to be hard for you to convince founders that, oh, we will be able to help you. Because for me, it's going to be hard for you to be able to help a company or a founder that is doing their things in a different country, in a country that you have never lived before. So I think if you are serious about moving to or expanding your company regionally to another country, I think it's important for you to move your people there. Or even better, if you should move to uh, to those countries. Yeah. One thing you mentioned was that you said that you're very focused on tech-enabled services rather than technology businesses. And that's quite interesting because a lot of VCs I know are actually the opposite, right? They're very much more focused on technology companies rather than technology-enabled services companies. So actually, now that on reflection, I do think that this is actually quite a big difference. Can you share a little bit more about your thesis or hypothesis here? Well, I think because of our background with the team of having traditional businesses background, I think we tend to be attracted to more traditional businesses that we can implement technology in. I'll give you two examples. There's one company. It's just a brick and mortar tuition center in Singapore. He was one of your podcast speaker before. Yeah, Evan and Zen of Education. Yes, Evan. And when they first approached to us, they only have a brick and mortar business. It's just your typical tuition center out of Singapore in the heartlands. But then when they approached us, they said that, oh, I would want to implement a new strategy into the business. I would like to have a tech overlay in, in our business. And we like that kind of business because I think with the brick and mortar business, there's already a real profit that is coming from the company. And then when they want to do a tech overlay, if they want to burn some money to develop themselves, to upgrade themselves, to differentiate themselves from the market, we're in it. We would be very supportive of this kind of company. I think the other company that we have is a health and wellness company in Indonesia. It's just a brick and mortar gym business. But I think in order order for them to differentiate themselves from the current uh, offerings in the market, they only need to add like simple tech into the operation. So let's say before they were in the market, there was nobody that was doing a sign-in by their phone. I mean, as simple as that, because we live with our smartphone all the time. And I think it's going to be so much easier. It made it so much easier to sign in to the gym's true mobile phone. And then having online workouts, everything all in one app. And I think it's just those small changes that involve technology that actually makes the big difference. But the bulk of the businesses still comes from the offline business, which is quite traditional, to be honest. Yeah, really interesting. You know, I think it's interesting because in it's like you pull up Substack or you pull out TechCrunch, it's like, oh, tech-enabled services are a terrible category. You need to focus on technology companies that are purely B2B, probably SaaS, you know, especially those that are profitable and growing quickly. But it seems like, yeah, in Southeast Asia, it's almost like you have to build tech-enabled services because those are fundamental businesses that require better user experience, a better player to be built out. But it feels like, I don't know what's the word, it feels like a bunch of schizophrenia a little bit, right? Because people are like, oh, you know, 
know, I want to be in Indonesia. I want to build Southeast Asia, but I don't want to build brick and mortar. I don't want to build some of these tech enabled services. So it's actually quite a tricky dynamic, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, when we say that we invest, we like to invest in tech enabled traditional businesses, it doesn't mean that we move away completely from pure tech play. We also right. invest in SaaS plays as well, in fintech as well. So it's not like we completely eliminate them from our choices. I think there's a share for everyone to invest, but I feel like where we find most comfortable is those kind of business. So what's interesting is that there's not only tech-enabled services and technology companies, but there are verticals that are harder than that. For example, we have agricultural mm. tech is up and coming sector in Indonesia. Currently, it's also very hot for both startup founders also for startup investments as well. What are your thoughts on that vertical? We invest quite a bit in agriculture as well. I think especially in the beginning when we first started, a lot of founders, a lot of investors would, because they know of our background in agriculture, a lot of them are attracted to us wanting to give some additional inputs into the market. But actually, at the end of the day, it's not exactly the sector that we look for. Even though I think at the end of the day, we still have some investments in the sector. But I think a lot of the agri-tech businesses at the end of the day, there's a lot of financing fintech element in the company as well. So that's why I think it's agri, but it's not pure agri sector. Because if we talk about like pure agri-tech sector, we would be talking about like smart sensor, drone company. I think those kind of companies are able to give better accuracy for fertilizer application or checking the health of the soil. But I think it's a very interesting sector. It's just that it's very hard to be applied, especially when you really go into the plantation. It's wild there. And I've met some architect founders who are based out of like JB. I went to some of their factories in JB and then I saw that JB has a highway there. And when you go to Indonesia and when you go to real plantation, you don't have highway there. The roads the infrastructure is still very backward. You don't have like actual road. So I think it's not as easy, I would say. Yeah. When you think about people who are thinking about joining venture capital in Indonesia, do you have any advice for them? It's exciting. It's fun, but it's quite volatile. If we see few years ago, there's much more partying going on. I think there was a lot of money that were coming in to the region. But I feel like recently, it has not been as easy. Funding has kind of dried out. So yeah, it's fun, but it might not be as easy as what people think might be. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I think the turnover is quite high, which I am very grateful. And we have not had anyone that left the company yet. But yeah, I think because the character of the people are generally younger. Right. Yeah. I think definitely a lot of turnover in venture capital. People are move in and out. Also because, like I said, the industry is volatile, but also folks are younger as well. I think maybe an, another advice that I just thought about, I think you need to be more of an extrovert because I think it's a very people-heavy kind of businesses, whether you would be talking to other founders or whether you would be talking to other investors, I think it's important for you to be able to open up to the general public because when you work for banking or when you work in accounting firm, you're probably not demanded to speak and meet so many people at one time. Yeah. Could you share a little bit more about a time that you personally have been brave? Well, I think starting this fund, 
I, I thought it was a crazy idea. When I first moved to Singapore, I didn't know anyone. My friends thought that I was taking on a challenge that was unnecessarily bigger than what was prepared for me. I came from a family business background. Naturally, I would be expected to follow on that path but I decided to detour for a different challenge. And then now, five years later, here I am. And yeah, we're still working on big things for the future. Amazing. When you think about setting up that fund, any advice you have for people who want to set up their own VC fund? Be prepared to make mistakes because I think it will take some time in order for you to know where your risk appetite is. And I think it's very important to be able to identify where your risk appetite is, because I think for every investors, they're different. You should not compare yourself to others because what you feel good doesn't necessarily feel good for other people. So I think make mistakes, experiment, make, mis make mistakes as much as you can and as fast as you can. I think by doing that, then you would be able to figure out what kind of investors that you want to be. Because I think once you are able to identify that, you would be able to have a more targeted approach in your investment, the kind of companies that you would want to go for what kind of team that would be able to supplement your goal. On that note, thank you so much for sharing your point of view. I'd love to summarize the three big takeaways from the conversation. First of all, thank you so much for sharing about your point of view on why it takes to be a successful founder in Asia. So I think you gave a very good landscape about why it takes as a founder in terms of the hard work that you need to do, but also, you know, the awareness around why it takes to localize a business in Indonesia, as well as how to be aware of aspects like the politics in the market as well. Secondly, thank you so much for sharing about what makes Trihill different in terms of how you set out to build a company to be different in terms of how you look at thesis. For example, you look at tech-enabled services heavily and how you're also comfortable, for example, with agricultural tech as a sector as well. Lastly, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of, about your own personal perspective about how people should approach the trade craft of venture capital in terms of what VC should be looking out for but also how you compare the Indonesian market from the US and Chinese markets but also for example how you look at what the domains that VC should be careful about in the landscape as well so uh, thank you so much for sharing Anthony thank you so much Jeremy thank you for listening to Brave if you enjoyed this episode please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.